And it's go time. Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen. Boys and girls, welcome to VUX World. I think this is this episode. I had a look the other day. I don't usually count episodes, but it's something like 235 or something like that. Uh, so it's been going for quite some time now. And uh, today's guest, I'm uh, delighted to welcome Peter Voss, uh, who is the CEO of iGo. Going to get into a really good conversation all about essentially a different way of modeling language, I suppose. Would you say that, Peter? I'm assuming it's a lot further than, a lot deeper than that. But. Uh, yeah, it's conversational AI, but uh, really ultimately it's about human level artificial intelligence, yes. Mm, exactly. Human level artificial intelligence, which is very interesting because uh, there was a post, and I forget, forgive me, it might have been Jim Robot, actually, that might have posted something on LinkedIn to the effect of something like what, what will it, when will conversational AI be truly human-like? And a response I had to that was, human-like is one thing, but kind of like passing off for a human is something totally, totally different. And my kind of point was that we don't necessarily fully understand the ins and outs of the human brain. And language goes so deep into the constructs of our brain that in order to explain or understand properly uh, language and context and memory and all of this kind of stuff, you, you keep scratching the onion and eventually you get to like consciousness <laughs> itself mm -hmm. sort of thing. So my kind of point was that uh, I don't know if we'll ever get there, but I think you've probably got a different idea than that and so i'm definitely keen maybe we'll kick off with that in one second but before we do i want to give a shout out to core ai for presenting vux world at voice 2022 the voice summit is back in october from the 10th to the 12th of october in arlington virginia and vux world is running a conference within that conference we've got the whole room to ourselves a whole stage all day long on the 11th and we're going to be focusing exclusively on contact center automation so if you are looking for ways of automating your contact center if you're looking for the best practice if you're looking for the the right kind of tools, the right kind of resources, the right kind of processes and practices to be able to bring a really effective customer experience to your call center, then this is the event for you. It's going to be practical deep dives into all kinds of case studies. We've got Core AI there. We've got Cognigy there. We've got Vonage and Ericsson there. We've got uh, Poly AI and Landry's there. We've got a whole bunch of uh, really interesting companies doing some really interesting work, and we're going to be sharing how to do it and how you can do it at Voice Summit. And you can save 20% on your tickets right now by using the promo code code VUX20. So go to voicesummit.ai, promo code VUX20, save 20% off your tickets, and we'll see you in Arlington, Virginia. And very finally, next week, I'm running a workshop in partnership with Cognigy, where we're going to be assessing your level of CX maturity and helping you devise a plan of action to up your game as far as CX is concerned. Some of the best teams in the business, uh, you will learn from them. You'll be able to network with other CX professionals. You'll be able to figure out where you sit on the CX maturity scale and what kind of things can you do within the next kind of couple of months to start uh, building your team's CX maturity to deliver better customer experiences for your customers? It's on September the 1st. Uh, all of the details to that will be in the show notes. But if you're listening on the podcast, you can go to vux.world forward slash Cognigy. That is C-O-G-N-I-G-Y. Uh, cool. So as I was saying, uh, my kind of response to Jim Rowe's question was that I'm not sure whether or not, and I could be wrong, whether we fully understand the human brain to a level where we can um, replicate it, so to speak, in order to create an AI which has consciousness, which has a full, complex understanding of language, can manage the same kind of things that we do, long-term memory, short-term memory, context, and a whole bunch of other things like that. But then I found that I go is kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, but almost doing that. <laughs> is that right? That's right. Um, we have um, a chatbot with a brain. And um, right. as opposed to all the other chatbots that don't have a brain. So, um, you know, of course, brain is a metaphor here. Uh, you, you're right. We don't really fully understand how the human brain works. Um but I think we have enough understanding of how the human mind works and how um, what intelligence entails um, and, you know, how to 
yeah, what what language uh, is about and how one can build a system that can have an intelligent conversation that can think and learn and reason the way humans do. You know, the analogy uh, we often use is we've been, we've had flying machines for over 100 years, but we still nowhere near reverse engineering a bird. Mm. And I think it's similar. We're not trying to reverse engineer the human brain as such, but we want to understand, and I think we do already have a lot of understanding of what mental processes are. And I think we can build machines that replicate human mental processes and give us intelligence. Now, we're not at a level of human level um, cognition, you know, an IQ of 100, but I think the fundamental mechanisms for cognition, you know, for reasoning, for learning, for memory, for context and so on, um, we have <clears throat> we have certainly already built that, and we can see a path of how to get that to human level. Mm, very interesting. And you've got a load of experience with this, twenty years plus. Part of the team that coined the term artificial general intelligence, which is becoming incredibly well used now, given mm -hmm. that we've got a lot of technology pro technological progress over the last few years with large language models and things like that. Technology where is now leading people to believe that there is something else behind it, not just the ability to recognize a pattern in a sentence and respond with something, but actually the ability for the machine to at least seem as though it's thinking. You look at some of the Lambda 2 examples from Google recently and the Palm language model and some of OpenAI's stuff, and it's like, you know, Cohere, and, and there's just so much progress happening that it's getting to a point where, you know, it would be uh, common, I would say, for some people to interact with one of these systems and believe that it is either another person or super intelligence thing behind it or whatever it might be. Like, is what do you think has kind of changed over since maybe you started Igo, or maybe even just before that, or in the last 20 years since you've been working in this, what differences are present now that enable you to be able to build something that you could call intelligent? So I don't... I don't uh, obviously, over the last 20 years, um, computing power has increased significantly, you know, the amount of computing power that we have on a, on a normal laptop computer, the amount of memory and so on. So that's, that's very helpful. Now, the, the kind of language models that you're talking about that are now making the news, you know, like GPT-3 and, and so on, um, they are relying very heavily on this, this massive increase of computing power and, and the amount of data that's been collected. They are really brute force statistical system uh, systems and you know s somebody called them uh, stochastic parrots so mm. I think one needs to be careful about the appearance of intelligence and actual intelligence now it's not always easy to sort of discern the difference because if you interacting with one of these massive uh, language models that you know have zillions of conversations basically in memory and you say something and they respond, you know, quite intelligently to it because they have that in memory somehow and the way they put it together and the way they can kind of seamlessly continue to have a conversation is quite impressive. But it's also very easy to find out that they don't know what they're talking about. There is no reasoning. There's nobody at home. You know, it's 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 they they kind of regurgitating intelligent bits of of, of information in a way that's that's actually very impressive. But uh, it's totally unreliable. You know, you can you can say the same thing to them and they'll answer differently. You can give them counterfactuals and they'll agree with you. And uh, they all over the place in terms of actual, you know factual understanding so there is really no reasoning behind it so they appear intelligent but they are not uh, they are not intelligent and um, so I my, my own uh, opinion is that 
it's, it's kind of a massive distraction uh, to go down that road and not really address what intelligence truly requires to, you know, and to build, to build systems that address the requirements of intelligence. And that would, you know, for, for one, require deep understanding or require the ability to learn on the fly and to remember that. And most importantly, to be able to reason and even to reason about your reasoning. And these these systems can't do that. And it's hard to see that they can be extended to to to, to do that. Mm, interesting. Yeah, they are very much they just seem like kind of like pattern matching systems, don't they? Which is I think there's there's a very high degree of novelty at the minute, which is isn't it novel to just mm-hmm. kind of like give it a title of a book and have it generate 50 other titles of a book or give it a, a you know a um a instruction for a picture and have it paint a picture it's kind of like novel a little bit but you can see that it's very much i kind of compare it i suppose a little bit to um amazon alexa when it was kind of first released which is that you say something and you get a response. And that's what most of the Amazon Alexa use cases were. Request, response, request, response, request, response. Isolated requests, isolated Correct. responses, not conversational. Um, and that's kind of what they're a bit like, isn't it? Give me a book title, give me a picture of a, you know, a Dalek shooting the sundown mm. or whatever. Um, so what is what what is intelligence then? If those aren't intelligence, if, if that's just really matching a pattern in a sentence and understanding broadly speaking what an output what output goes with that input you kind of alluded to what intelligence is there what do you class as as intelligence yeah so in, intelligence is ultimately uh, to be able to uh, to learn to deal with novel problems let's call them problems or novel situations and the the ability to learn interactively in real time uh, is is a key requirement. But that also implies that there is a deep understanding of the situation to be able to, you know, to learn and come up with so- solutions to novel, novel problems that you haven't come across before. Um, so th- there are these requirements uh, of intelligence. I mean, to give to give you one example here, that if you hired a, a personal assistant, a human, you know, to to help you help you with your life, and that person didn't remember what you said two sentences ago, or what you said yesterday, or the week before, they wouldn't last very long. Mm. Um, or if they just, you know, to the same response would to the same request would just give you a totally different response as as the current systems do. So you required. You require learning in real time. Um, you require deep understanding, and you require reasoning. That's some, you know, that's part and parcel of understanding. Does this actually make sense? What does it mean? What are the implications? Um, and th- those are all requirements of of intelligence. And so, an, an intelligent, artificially intelligent system needs to have the ability to need to have these capabilities basically as part and parcel of it. Mm. So where do you start with that then? So, cause that's what a lot of the sort of like large language models, I suppose are attempting to display in some cases mm-hmm. dealing with novel problems, questions that haven't necessarily been hard coded as that we expect this question and here's the response kind of thing it's almost like here's a pattern that exists within this query and using mm-hmm. a big huge knowledge base that we've built from billions of words or parameters right. we can estimate a response to that is that not dealing with novel problems or is that a dumb way of doing it because you don't really know because it? they can't do anything outside of the dom- domains of you know what the training set was uh, and they don't reason about uh, the the responses that they give. There's no there's no understanding in in the you know the sense that we we mean understanding. Uh, they don't really have a model of the world, and so they can't reason about it. It's it it is really a, simply a statistical response. So it's it's sort of like. Uh, um, 
you know flow of consciousness set or something that you you might be dreaming which doesn't necessarily make any sense you know and mm-hmm. uh, that that's really how these these models uh, work right now and mm-hmm. you know the the leaders in the field um, are very aware of that now and becoming increasingly especially in the last year or so and they're talking more more and more about the, the fundamental shortcoming, which which is, I think, identified as the lack of reasoning. Um, that's kind of one way to capture it because reasoning implies deep understanding. Um, and, you know, they're talking about hybrid models. So how can we bring, um, you know, symbolic reasoning and symbolic processing? And they talk about hybrid models. But it's at the moment very exploratory. It's more identifying that there is a problem without actually having having solutions to that problem. Now, another thing that that I think isn't recognized nearly well enough is the ability to to learn interactively, to learn new things, new facts interactively. These models have to be trained, um, you know, with with massive computational resources and the model is then trained and it's essentially fixed. You, you really need an intelligent system needs to be able to learn completely new things. Um, you know, for example, you wouldn't have a, a GPT-3 model. It couldn't learn how to play chess if you, mm. if you told it or some, you know, some novel game or, or whatever. So the ability to actually learn through interaction uh, or through uh, explanation is, is completely uh, missing. You know, there isn't uh, that kind of ability to learn in real time and to then have that as part of the knowledge base that you have uh, they really aren't models of the of of the world and uh, reasoning is missing so there are a lot of components missing that uh, are really required for uh, for true intelligence mm. where did you first recognize that like what was the point when you when you thought i think we need to do something with igor here because here's the problems that were out there. When, when was that when you first kind of started to realize this stuff? Right. Well, it's actually long, long before I go. So my, my background was I actually started out in electronics as an electronics engineer, started my own uh, electronics company. Then I fell in love with software and my company turned into a software company. Uh, I developed a um, and sort of comprehensive ERP system. We became quite successful. So when I exited the, the, the company, I... I thought, how can we make software more intelligent? Because what what struck me is even I was you know very proud of the software that we developed, but still it's it's dumb. You know, if the programmer didn't think of something, it would just crash or you know give you some error message or something. So how can we build intelligent systems? And I actually it took a long time. I took took off five years to study intelligence, all different aspects of intelligence to really deeply understand what intelligence entails in order to build systems that have intelligence. And so I, I studied um, epistemology, uh, theory of knowledge, um, you know, to, to really understand what is reality, what is knowledge, how can we be sure of, of how can we be certain of things. I studied um, cognitive psychology and developmental psychology, how do children learn how what's the difference between animal intelligence and human intelligence so i really went through all of the 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 different aspects of intelligence and uh, that was some 20 years ago and i i realized that you really need a cognitive engine you need a cognitive architecture that has all of the elements required for intelligence so it has the elements required for reasoning, for concept formation, for memory, long-term memory, short-term memory, context, you know, deep understanding, metacognition, thinking about thinking, and and so on. You really need a system that has all of these components. And that's basically we started architecting that. And then in 2002, as you mentioned, I, I coined the term AGI, Artificial General Intelligence, together with two two others, uh, because we realized that pretty much everything in the field of AI didn't actually address what intelligence requires. Uh, the field of AI had had gone from you know sixty odd years ago 
to build systems that can think and learn and reason the way humans do. That was the original dream and the intent, the goal of AI. But of course, that turned out to be incredibly difficult. So what happened to the field of AI, it turned into a field of narrow AI to basically solve one particular problem at a time, whether it's container optimization or some specific medical diagnosis, or when we had the breakthrough of uh, Deep, uh, Deep Blue becoming the world chess champion and so on. And, and now more, more recently, you know, the Go um, world champion. But these are narrow AI problems. And there's an important element here is not only are they narrow problems that you solve one problem at a time, but the more important thing is that the intelligence is really external. It's the intelligence of the programmer or the data scientist who figures out how to use computer technology to solve that particular problem. What algorithms do we need or what models do we need? What data sets do we need? How do we prepare the data? How do we tweak the parameters? You know, how do we actually get this thing to solve the particular problem we're trying to solve? Um, and so that's narrow AI. And, and we basically, myself and a few other people, have sort of come to a point to say, we really want to get back to the original a dream to the original vision of AI to build thinking machines. And so that's why we, that we need a, a different term to differentiate ourselves, uh, you know, from, mm. from the, uh, the mainstream AI. And that's why we coined the term uh, AGI, artificial general intelligence. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's nice to hear that the term has, has taken off, but we've taken a bit of a detour with these big, um, deep learning, machine learning, these big data systems that have become so incredibly powerful and so impressive in so many areas, but they really don't address the requirements of intelligence. Mm, that's a really interesting summary of that. Um, so would you say that Igor is an AGI, artificial I, general intelligence? I, I would not? call it a proto-AGI because... You know, AGI sort of, in my mind, implies human-level intelligence, and we we are nowhere near. I mean, I if I had to kind of put a value on it, I'd say, you know, if Alexa and Siri have an IQ of 15, you know, we're at 30 or something, you know, 35 or something. So we're still a long way from human-level intelligence, but the fundamental architecture that we started working on this in 2002 when uh, I, I started my first uh, AI company and we spent several years in R&D mode, basically just taking these ideas that I'd come up with and turning them into actual code. And then we started commercializing this in 2008 in the call center space, a company called Smart Action, uh, using uh, a brain, uh, cognitive architecture, using this proto-AGI brain and we've since basically been alternating between uh, development phases and commercialization and, uh, you know, keep moving closer and closer to human level intelligence. So I believe we have the right architecture um, to, to achieve that, but there's just a lot of work to be done. And one of the big challenges is that as, as humans, we just have such an incredible amount of common sense knowledge that we just acquire by growing up in the real world that, you know, a disembodied um, AI or AGI, proto-AGI, simply doesn't have that experience, doesn't grow up in the real world. So to give it that, to give it that knowledge is, uh, is, is quite challenging. You know, it's just an, um, a, a big exercise and... Uh, will take quite a lot of effort to to achieve. So there are the mechanisms to be developed on the one hand, and then on the other hand, to give it the knowledge um, that, that's required, that broad knowledge, common sense knowledge and the common sense reasoning that follows uh, with that. And that's and that's quite that's kind of our biggest challenge right now. Mm. So so would you say then that you have the the kind of framework which is the brain and the structure and the foundations, but not necessarily... Because one of the things... I, w I posted something actually last week or the week before, which was the two mm -hmm. things that are 
failing the uh, voice assistants that we know of at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, and one of those things is fulfillment. So even though Amazon, Alexa, Google Assistant, etc., may work on that intent-based model of just what is it that you want and now let's fulfill it. In order to fulfill that, for it to be a generalized assistant, it needs to be able to do lots and lots and lots of things. It's not just playing music and setting timers, but it needs to organize for me and you to set an appointment in the diary and make sure there's a Google Meet link in there, or it needs to be able to, you know, whatever it might be, do do your shopping for you or arrange for someone to pick your kids up from school or check if the babysitter is available right. or, you know, add a note to, add a note to Evernote is something so simple, but that's something that would be a killer feature for me. So, but it needs to do a load of stuff, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and a part of the issue is that if I ask Alexa to check my bank balance, it's not going to do that because my bank hasn't exposed itself to Amazon, hasn't created an Alexa skill, doesn't have APIs that are interrogatable from via that platform. So the the, the gap or the the massive challenge is for these assistants to be able to fulfil the the breadth of things that people need them to do is that the same challenge you're facing now that you have the kind of framework of the brain or is that not really the challenge what's what's the 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 main thing yes that's that's certainly a a a big challenge now you you mentioned for example uh you know, logging onto the bank and getting bank details. Now, of course, uh, an AGI would be able to do that even if the bank didn't provide the APIs in the same way that humans do it by, you know, looking, going to the website and logging on and clicking and so on. And you would need to have the, you need to develop the interfaces to basically to be able to manipulate websites and to make sense of what what you're seeing, um, which is actually something we uh, experimented with, um, yeah, some twenty years ago to actually build an assistant that could interact. It would have additional senses that would basically be a mouse and a browser sense. You know that it could use a mouse and and use a browser and see what's happening on on that. Um, it's it's quite a challenging project, and we didn't pursue that because. Uh, the sort of low-hanging fruit were um, uh, call center automation, you know, and and we that's that's what we focused focused on. Um, but having the cognitive mechanisms, you can then again the system should be able to learn all of the different skills uh, to to do that. It's just there's a lot there's a lot to learn, and um, you know even though. Uh, billions or trillions are being spent on deep learning, machine learning, they don't have the right architecture to ultimately give you this uh, general intelligence. And, um, you know, there aren't enough people working on cognitive architectures um, that, that are required to to give you this uh, ability to have, have a personal, personal assistant. And to gain this knowledge, um, this common sense knowledge that you that that you ultimately need for an effective assistant. So we are, you know, slowly building out the repertoire of of skills that that the system has, and we obviously trying very hard to accelerate that that process so that we can uh, increase the capabilities of the system. Right now, we are we are working with specific large enterprise companies where the system really only has to know about their particular domain. So we only have to give it the the knowledge base of that domain, which is a lot more tractable than a general personal assistant that we might want to use, where you might want to know about your sports sports scores or, you know, help you travel, uh, help you uh, plan a trip with all the complexities that you have there. And, you know, as you say, banking and, and, and whatnot, they're just... And, you know, a lot of different domains you, you would need to have knowledge of and ability to interact with. Mm. So is that is that then kind of taking that AGI? Because earlier on you mentioned that, you know, there was the concept of AGI and then AI went more into like specific narrow domains. Mm. It sounds as though, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of your uh, approach has been to go into the enterprise focusing call centers, that's kind of a narrow domain. But I suppose the difference would be that you're not necessarily, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is it that you don't really care about the domain necessarily? 
it's the brain that is the thing that you've kind of built, which is the 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 kind of secret sauce sort of thing, the golden ticket kind of thing. And you apply that to any domain you like, or or have you actually took a conscious effort to go and try and focus in particular domains like healthcare or banking or whatever it might be, in order to you know I don't know round out the features that you have or or take it to the next level or or what have you. Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right. That our technology is is domain agnostic, so and we are actually doing applications in uh, in um, you know medical medical applications. We're doing banking. We're doing you know retail, um, and we are you know sales assistant. I mean all all sorts of different applications. And the interesting thing is using the, the using the same brain. It's just that you then need to teach it the specific domain knowledge um, to be able to handle that. It's just we can't boil the ocean and, you know, give it all the knowledge that it requires to be sort of a personal assistant, but we're obviously trying to to grow into that. And we want to get to a point where the system can learn by itself um, to a large extent, where it just needs less and less human assistant to be able to learn new domains. So some of the experiments we did is to have I go um, go to Wikipedia and learn from Wikipedia, read a Wikipedia article and extract knowledge and be able to have that knowledge in a usable format. And um, we could do that to a limited extent, but there's still, we need to climb up the IQ ladder a bit more for that to require to, for that to become viable at the moment, it still requires too much human interaction where basically is reading this Wikipedia article requires additional background information to even make sense of it. So, mm. you know, it's it's kind of a bootstrapping uh, requirement and we, we're hoping to get, you know, to, to the point where it requires minimal human explanation and assistance to be able for the system to be able to learn by itself so that that would be one of the the sort of major milestones where it becomes um a lot simpler to for it to acquire uh, new new knowledge Mm. and would that be something that would be a like a repeatable part of the brain as you mentioned you can apply the brain to any different industry or content or whatever it might Mm be it's the brain itself which is the the thing would that be part of that initial like core framework or this whole self-learning thing? Mm-hmm. Would that be dependent on the use case or the industry? Because I'm assuming that, you know, if it comes across something, if you're if you're working with a retailer mm-hmm. and somebody says something to it that it's never come across before, doesn't really know what to do with, mm-hmm. but happen, hears that enough times that it then, however it does it, figures out that this is something I need to learn – at the moment, that kind of happens with mm-hmm. things that people say to it that get like a no match or whatever it might be. That'll go to a person. It'll then be categorized and classified and put into some trading data and new intent will be created or something like that. And it seems as though you're kind of talking about something similar might happen, but it would be automated. So would that be something that would be a core part of the framework or would that need to be created and tuned for every individual domain or use case so a couple couple of considerations so yes ideally what what we want and what we're working towards where where i go when i go doesn't know something um think of it uh as a call center um agent and an operator in a a call center in, in the same way that they get a query from a customer that they can't answer so what do they do if if they're diligent um they would ask their supervisor or they would ask somebody is, how do I answer that question? And if they really wanted to deeply understand if they sort of make, want to make a career of, of this, they would not only want to understand how do I answer this question, but why do I answer it that way and what other background knowledge do I need to know to really understand fully what that situation is. You know, do you, do you ship internationally? You know, and there might be a whole lot of, complexities of it you know uh, that depend on different things that certain products you can do internationally and others you can't and which countries and how this affects shipping charges and whatnot you know so there might be a whole lot of additional knowledge that that you need to need to gain but to get this into either to be able to look it up 
you know, on the website or, or whatever, or to ask somebody. So that's that's kind of the point we'd like to get to in commercial applications where IGO would know what it doesn't know and then to actually be able to ask interactively ask questions and, and, and get the information rather than what, what you're saying, the way it's kind of done now is that people go through logs or have some tools that will basically say what what things couldn't the system answer and then you give it additional training basically and, and that's you know a whole sort of new uh, manual manual process. So yes, if the system has enough intelligence, it would be able to to learn the way a human agent would be able to learn fill fill in the gaps in their knowledge. Mm, interesting. You mentioned one thing that constitutes intelligence is the ability to reason. So how how do you create a an artificial intelligence that can reason without any kind of manual intervention, so to speak? Like the way that most chatbots, for example, or voice assistants would reason nowadays is there there is some kind of state management uh kind of component which gets information from the nlu which says this is this intent and Mm -hmm. it's this confidence and if it's not as confident as we want it to be we will then go back and clarify or we can disambiguate or it gets to you know this intent means that when this certain slots have been filled then next we do this so you almost Mm -hmm. like build like almost like a conversational map like a business process Mm -hmm. kind of thing that, that tells it what to go where and what to do i suppose that's a little bit of what you would call reasoning perhaps but it is very much hard coded and done manually for every conversation what's the difference between or how you're is that is that how you're describing reasoning or what's the difference between no, the reasoning not, component not really i mean there are overlapping components of course in 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 terms of uh, you know reasoning entails such things um, i mean first of all you have to have a deep you have to have deep passing which you know the chatbots without a brain don't have i mean they don't actually try to pass a sentence and get every component of the sentence. They basically just feed the the utterance into a categorizer, and then the categorizer will spit out, you know, which intent triggered. And if it's a bit more sophisticated, you might even have more than one intent trigger with different strengths, you know. And then mm. you can you can go with that. No, here we're talking about having a deep pass to start off with, and but that pass by itself has to already involve reasoning. So, for example, it has to be able to disambiguate if there are ambiguous terms in there. When, you, when you're talking about, um, uh, you know, taking again a commercial example, uh, you know, the, the, gift for my, uh, the gift for my daughter. Uh, so what gift are you talking about? Um, so the system would have in memory, presumably, or would have access to it. There may be multiple gifts and there's a gift to the daughter. Now, which daughter? So reasoning system, would they know what gift you're talking about? If, if that knowledge is, you know, in, in memory, uh, and it would also know which daughter, if there was more than one daughter, because the, the two would, would, would map, map up. So that would be part of the sort of the, the reasoning process, but there are also implications um, that that are part of reasoning. For example, um, what is possible and what isn't possible. So, for example, what's in the past and what is in the future is something. If the birthday has already passed, you can't still deliver it in time for the birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. So all of those things are part of part of reasoning. And um, of course, specific examples, if you give one specific example, you can always write some code to do that. Um, you know, and sophisticated chatbots write a lot of specialized code to deal with all sorts of different situations if you're trying to, you know, book a flight or, or whatever. But what we're talking about is the general mechanism of, of, of being able to reason. So to take what you're hearing together with the context of the conversation where you know where are you what are you trying to achieve what is the current goal or the sub goal what goals have already been achieved um what do you have in long-term memory what are realistic constraints of constraints of reality all of those things need to be taken into account for 
practical reasoning as 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 we do. Mm. So that that's what I mean by reasoning is that the engine itself, the intelligence engine, has the mechanisms to be able to reason using context, using memory, using deep passing and and constraints of reality. Mm, interesting. You, you mentioned IQ a few times over mm. the course of the conversation. Um, and I suppose everything that we're talking about here, for those tuning in at home, might be a bit conceptual. How do you kind of... For example, I go, let's say that you take, I know, 1-800-Flowers, for example. Uh, let's say you take that instance of, of is it a chatbot for 1-800-Flowers? Is it a call centre? Uh, yeah, we, we, uh, they're using iGo uh, for, for their, their chatbot uh, support. Chatbot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's so let's say let's say that we, we, take... we call it a chatbot with a brain to kind of differentiate yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, th- I like the term digital assistant more than it, or AI yeah. assistant or something because like it makes it sound you know it's more yeah. helpful. The bot sounds a bit dumb and yes, it's got a hangover that, from that, the keywords. That's right. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. So so let's say you take your uh, your the assistant for one eight hundred flowers. Mm-hmm. You take another assistant from somewhere else. Any name any other company with any other chatbot. Mm-hmm. How does how do you kind of measure the intelligence of the two? Do you use IQ? You mentioned IQ a few times. Do you use IQ? Is that a good well, measure no, for intelligence? Well, no, IQ is, like that? Uh, that, that, that is really just sort of uh, an abstract way of looking at it. No, IQ, IQ tests don't really apply here. And, you know, with whatever the difficulties are of IQ tests are anyway. I mean, first of all, an AI system could be specifically trained to be good at IQ tests. Mm. Um, so no, we don't use IQ tests, but uh, for commercial applications, uh, conversational AI, it's typically very, very easy because you have essentially containment. You know, what percentage of conversations uh, that normally a human would need to handle are, are automated in a satisfactory way? So that, that is the simplest measure. And, you know, so if a, a dumb chatbot can do 20% and an intelligent, intelligent one can do 60%, then it's a very, very obvious difference, you know. And, mm. uh, and also, of course, the quality, customer satisfaction and, and so on, you know, can, can be taken into it. But containment, um, and I, I hate the term containment because it's such a mm. negative term, you know, it's always... How can we deflect things from human agents? Uh, and I'd like to just say a few words here, which I, I'm sure your listeners will will appreciate and be aware of as well, is automating a call should not be inferior to a human handling it. In fact, it should be the opposite. Um, because A, you, you have no wait. There's no wait time even in, in busy periods. Secondly, an intelligent chatbot should already know a lot about you, um, unlike a human agent who can doesn't really have the time to look up all your history and, and, and so on. So, you know, for example, if you were uh, dealing with your cable company, uh, your internet provider or whatever, um, and you, 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 you talk to an, um, an assistant, an, a digital assistant, um, it should remember that you called yesterday and you've already tried rebooting your, your modem three times and also that uh, you tried moving it into the kitchen to see if you'd get better reception. So now next day you contact it and it's as if you are talking to a technician who remembers the conversation exactly that you had yesterday, which is not going to happen with a human Mm. and can then, you know, give you this hyper personalized, uh, experience, um, and, and, and assistant. So, um, an automated assistant should actually be much better than a, a human agent. Mm. Now that's assuming it has the skills and, the intelligence to handle, you know, the particular domain uh, that you have. Mm, yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that, without a doubt. Um, it's interesting because 
the whole concept of content I, I hate that word myself as well containment in fact I, I think I wrote something about that a few years ago which is why I think it was called something like why you shouldn't use containment and mm-hmm. it was mainly just getting at exactly what you've just said which is a, it's a bit of a negative connotation and, and really it should be about servicing people rather than containing them but a question I always ask is how how do you because containment may be positive or negative mightn't it it may be that the user is contained and they're just circling around and can't get an answer to whatever they're trying to do can't right, accomplish right. what they're trying to do and then just leave um or containment might be they get everything right and everything's done and everyone walks away happy so i always ask and there's different ways of measuring this some people don't measure it and they'll say well there must be a good enough accuracy within a thousand people that are contained mm. there must be a good enough accuracy in there otherwise everyone would be complaining about it others might have like manual based like follow-up questions like did that answer your question yes or no right others might tag certain intents or certain responses and stuff like that i'm always curious just to learn a little bit about how do you drill into this containment metric and do you do anything under that to try and establish this was success and that wasn't sort of oh thing? absolutely um yeah i mean a, a key part of it is i mean we definitely measure the difference between uh containment in sort of the sense of well they they didn't get through to an agent you know so it was contained um, but they may just well have given up and abandoned uh, it versus achieving goals. So our systems are all goal oriented. So you 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 know obviously identify what is the, the ultimate goal of the person contacting you, and uh, or goals if there are multiple goals. And did you fulfill the goal? You know did did we actually end up fulfilling the goal? And you know that we know in the in the conversation whether it reached those milestones and and that is how success needs to needs to be measured um, the the other thing that we try to persuade our customers if they need persuasion is to make it easy to get to a live agent um, you know so i mean that that makes for a good customer experience that it's not the sort of negative containment you're trying to make it as hard as possible to get to a live agent no it should be the opposite if if the, the automation can't cope with it or the person simply doesn't like dealing with computers, you know, for whatever, whatever reason, uh, to make it easy, but that the experience is so good that even somebody who says, I always press zero, you know, to get to an operator, that the experience is so good that they, you know, making progress and getting results and they feel they're getting, uh, making progress, that they actually stay with the, the digital assistant uh, instead of pressing zero. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the kind of experience you want to give. But you, you're totally right. You don't want to measure just did you contain it? Did you prevent it from going to a live agent? You, you really want to measure did, was the self-service successful? Mm-hmm. Did, did the that- customer achieve whatever goal they, they had? Yeah. And part of, part of something being intelligent i would say is the ability for it to uh for example if i was to send you an email you would be able to respond to that email uh if i was to speak to you on the phone or over a video call like i am now you understand that and you can respond accordingly if i was to send you a text message you would also Mm -hmm. respond to that as a human you can receive so many inputs and that's just language based inputs if i frown Mm. like that then you'll pick up on something that Mm. i might not be happy about if i'm smiling then you pick up on that Mm. there's all kinds of different inputs that an intelligent sort of being so to speak can take and interpret um maybe we'll start with with the voice channel but then i'd be interested in getting your thoughts on other modalities as as far as inputs and outputs are concerned but maybe first we've mentioned chatbots you've also mentioned call center Mm -hmm. on the on the voice side how do you kind of handle that? Do you have like proprietary speech recognition tools? Do you use off-the-shelf kind of ones and you focus on the engine? Like how do you approach the voice channel? Right. So um, you actually make a, a, a good point with omni-channel. You know, people talk about omni-channel, but by having a brain that is the center, that same brain is actually used irrespective of the channel. So whether it's, you know, voice or 
or, or, or text or Apple Business Chat or on the website or, or whatever. And you can really transition the conversation from one channel to the other channel because it's the same brain handling it. But yes, as far as voice is concerned, um, we, we have our, our own speech engine. Um, and it's actually important not to use just an off-the-shelf speech engine because you want your speech engine to be deeply integrated with the brain. So that, um, and um, we are actually with, with Igo, we are just in the process of uh, uh, commercializing speech up to now. We, we actually only had uh, text. Uh, we are in, in the final stages of uh, um, uh, building uh, speech engine. But in my previous company, Smart Action, which was specifically speech uh, focused, um, we uh, originally used the Nuance engine, but we got better performance out of Nuance than Nuance themselves got. <laughs> and the reason being is we deeply integrated, we used the low level APIs of the engine and integrated that with the brain. So instead of just looking at the top hypothesis that the speech engine produced, we took the whole matrix of, of recognition and matched that against what the brain knew in terms of what was the current context what, you know, and what do, did we already know and then re-ranked and recalculated what the speech, uh, speech out, uh, input actually most likely meant. Um, so that was one of, one of the ways. We had a few other, um, other tricks that, that we implemented by deeply integrating the speech engine with the brain. So you really want to do that, that the speech engine and the, the, can use the context and the intelligence of the brain. Again, if you have some reasoning ability, is this hypothesis actually, does it make more sense than another hypothesis that, that just the speech engine provides? So yes, there's, there's definitely, uh, it's a different modality that requires, you know, uh, or that can benefit from, um, from brain processes. Or. Mm. And, and similarly to speech, so the speech is almost like an additional piece of technology, mm -hmm. I suppose, that works alongside the brain. Correct. You've got the channels that you mentioned all have their own quirks about them. For example, Dynamic, WhatsApp. Yeah. Yeah, someone might send an emoji in WhatsApp or they might send a picture. So you need to be able to kind of figure out what that means. But then also, let's say you have something running in an app and maybe part of the input of that is touch. You know, someone's you're in the middle of a conversation and somebody clicks on a link on a website onto another product. The assistant kind of needs to understand that they've clicked on that product and switch the conversation potentially around to that product because now the conversation's yeah. moved on kind of thing. Lots of different inputs is what I'm trying to get to. And so there's omni-channel, which is, you know, concurrent channels at one time or switching from one channel to another, whatever it might be. But you've also got the modality changing as well. I'm wondering if you've thought about, you know, over the next however many years, the future of these interfaces as they become language plus touch plus location plus facial recognition plus 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 like yeah. where, where you know what are your thoughts on that yeah absolutely and in, in fact we started out our original uh, original engine that we developed uh, did have all the modalities you know it, it, it had it, it vision in fact our first prototype was a virtual mouse uh, living in a virtual environment and had whiskers and ears and eyes and um, you know <laughs> it was ahead of its time it's that kind of stuff would go, would go down well now in some of the metaverse examples I've been seeing yeah and then <laughs> And as I said, when, when we then moved over to personal assistant, it actually had a, a browser sense. So it could sense, you know, what was on, on your browser and a mouse that it could activate and actually act on, uh, on, on that. So, yes, ultimately, absolutely, you want those other inputs as well. And we, we currently do that. So, again, going back to 1-800-Flowers, um, we, we do use the input of where people are on the website, you know, for, for that channel. Uh, what what are they currently looking at so that when they then ask for help, we have that context and we can use the context. And um, that kind of additional uh, input, you know, whether it's uh, emotion detection and voice, which is pretty shaky, it, does, it still doesn't seem to work really that well. Mm -hmm. um, or, or even facial emotion detection also isn't, 
nearly as good as some people like like you to believe. But one can potentially use all of those those inputs uh, and should use what whatever information you can uh, to to supplement, you know, your your senses and in, in the brain, the input that comes uh, comes in. So. Absolutely, that's an ongoing part of our development to kind of see what additional inputs can we use to have better cognition. Um, mm. Nice, nice. What's where? What's exciting you about? We've spoken about a lot today in the course of the conversation. We spoke about large language models. We spoke about kind of like mapping the human brain almost. We've spoke about multimodality, omnichannel. We spoke about all kinds of <clears throat> areas. <clears throat> excuse me, regarding uh, intelligence and stuff like that. What's some of the stuff right now that's really kind of exciting you about this technology and, and where it's going? Well, it, it's really moving forward on IQ and moving up the IQ. And uh, we we do that. And, and what I'm excited about is to do it in, in really two parallel paths that work together. The one is the the more theoretical development of basically increasing the IQ. And the other one is the practical commercial applications. And they have different dynamics. The moving the IQ forward is uh, is, is always going to be, as you're pushing IQ, it's going to be less reliable. Uh, whereas on the commercial side, you want, you, you can't afford for the system to make mistakes. So you basically need to uh, put more guardrails around what the system can do. So one, one example is our system has natural language generation capabilities. You know, you can have a, a free-form conversation. You can tell it stuff about yourself and you can then ask it about it. We disable that in the commercial applications because, um, you know, legal needs to sign off, marketing needs to sign off, you know, QA needs to sign off on what the system actually says and how it says it. You know, it needs to fit in with, with what, what the company's requirements are. But, uh, you know, that, so that, that would, be, would be one example. So it's, it's really the, 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 the challenge to crank up IQ and get closer and closer to human-level intelligence. And what I mentioned earlier is I, I'm really looking forward to the point where it will require less and less human involvement to teach IGO new things. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what, what our focus in is. As, as far as the, the more general AI, um, what's happening in the AI community is the realization that pure deep learning, machine learning, statistical models aren't good enough for AGI. I, I think that's, that's nice to see that realization. And so there's going to be an increasing effort in trying to figure out how to give it that reason, how to give it the missing components. Now, I think they pretty much have to throw out what they have. Uh, you know, it needs to be a fundamentally different, uh, a different approach. Um, I'm, I'm not saying we can't learn from these statistical models, but unless there is a cognitive architecture that con constrains what it, you could one of the ways of thinking about it which is not exactly right but kind of gives you an idea is the these big language models you can always think them of subconscious processes or i mentioned like dreaming or stream of consciousness kind of thing which you can't rely on you know it's like mm -hmm. if you're on drugs or something <laughs> you know it's just stuff that comes to mind basically um that's not going to be good enough for intelligence that you can rely on. So you need that cognitive architecture, the reasoning part of it. But if it can leverage the the, the parts that have already been learned with the, you know these trillions of parameters that are being trained, if you can somehow manage to do that, that'll be awesome. Um, but that seems pretty hard uh, because these current models are black boxes. And it's very difficult to know how you can actually hook anything into that, you know, APIs or uh, formal ontologies. Now, maybe 
somebody will figure it out and maybe we'll figure it out uh, and how to use those big language models in, in addition to the, 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 the reasoning system that you, you have and the more formal system. You know, our system is not at all a black box. Everything is completely scrutable. So if the system doesn't give you the right response, you can pin, pinpoint exactly why that is mm. and you can remedy it. Whereas with big data models, if it doesn't give you the right response, really your only remedy is to give it more training data re and rebuild the model, retrain the model, and hope that you don't have catastrophic forgetting on the stuff that used to work before. You know, so you, you really, from an engineering and reliability point of view and explainability point of view, re, you really want a, as, as scrutable a system as possible and explainable a system as possible. So, yeah, it's exciting times to, to, to see how we can move both in terms of what our company is doing, sort of irrespective of what other people are doing, but also seeing in the, in the AI community the realization that you really do need reasoning and uh, real-time learning and, you know, some of these other, other components that I mentioned. Mm, mm, wicked. That is, that is fantastic. That is really interesting stuff. I really appreciate you joining us, Peter. That's been unbelievable. Uh, definitely, definitely learned a hell of a lot there. Uh, for those who are listening in, go to igo.ai for more information. That is A-I-G-O dot A-I. Almost makes the agi uh kind of like initials uh aigo.ai uh yeah really sounds interesting i think that what you're kind of touching on i love the angle you're coming at it from which is that the other examples out there obviously we know the intent-based models they're just you know quick response if you don't program the the brain behind it which you have to do new every single time you build anything and you do it very manually and it's all rules based in terms of the logic if you don't do any of that then every single thing that you say to any of it is just completely new information um and the large language models are completely agree as well which is that they are you know just big black boxes that that are regurgitating whatever it is that they've been fed kind of thing so i love that idea of approaching it from mapping the framework and getting a framework of the brain first and then applying that thinking logic the foundations of it all to certain you know situations i think that's a yeah really good yeah i just want to mention i do have a number of articles uh, about various things like free will and cognitive architectures and third wave of ai and agi and all sorts of different different things um, they, they're linked from the website or you can also find them on medium, medium.com, uh, Peter Voss, my name, but yeah, they're also linked on the website. The other thing you, you, you mentioned, we didn't get to, uh, you mentioned at the beginning is, you know, about, uh, consciousness. Will we have conscious mm. and I'll, I'll, I just want to leave you with that any truly intelligent system automatically will be conscious. It has to be. Right. Interesting. Okay, any truly intelligent system has to be conscious. So I suppose the question of what is consciousness, we might have to leave for another day. Right, well... Unless you have a short answer for that. I, I do have a, sh a short answer. It's not going to satisfy everyone because obviously <laughs> people have had whole careers uh, on on consciousness. There's been there's the conferences of a thousand attendees every other year towards the science of consciousness. So my my quick answer is definitely not going to satisfy everyone. But uh, you can kind of take the mysticism out of consciousness or the mystique out of consciousness uh, by thinking of it as awareness. And basically, it needs to be self-aware. And once you look at it that way, that it essentially needs to be able to model its own existence and its own thought processes. So it needs to be self-aware. That's really the key of consciousness. And, you know, then how it feels to be conscious and all of that. Yes, one can talk about that. But the key part of it is an intelligent system has to be aware of itself as an agent acting in the world. And it has to be aware of its thought processes in, at, mm. at, you know, in, in, some, in some way. Um, so it needs to have the self-awareness, both in terms as an acting agent and as a thinking agent. Mm, very good. And I suppose the challenge with trying to 
figure that out is that some of them might talk like they're aware of themselves mm. without actually being. Of course, the, 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 the Turing test type competitions and so on, people go to a lot of trouble to program hard code systems that will fool the judges into believing that the system is conscious. Yeah, mm. I mean, of course, you can write, write a three line program to, are you conscious? Yes, I'm conscious, you know. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Classic. Mitsuku was one of those. Uh, we had Steve a long time ago on the podcast talking about Mitsuku. That was quite interesting. Loebner Prize winner, mm. but it all, is all rule based, and he is very open and proud of that fact because it is. Yeah, uh, that's. And it, wor- it works pretty well as well, you know. Amazing how well it can fool judges. Yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> exactly cool well peter this has been absolutely fantastic thank you so much for joining us aigo.ai i'll put also the links to your medium articles in the show notes as well voice summit.ai uh, to find out more information about the event that we're doing in arlington virginia at the voice summit in october on october the 11th use the promo code vux20 to save 20 percent on your tickets and also vux.world forward slash cognitive to register for the webinar that we're doing next week september the 1st all about upping your cx maturity and uh, until the next one we'll see you again very soon Peter thanks so much thank you